Welcome to the Board Game Community Show, the podcast where we get to know people throughout the board game community. Today, we've got Kyle Thomas Elzey from Sparkwolf Games. How you doing? Hey, doing well. How are you? I'm good. Excited to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. I feel like you were one of my earliest people that like I followed, you followed back. Yeah, that was right around the time that I started my Twitter account and, you know, started promoting myself as a game designer and the Sparkwolf Games um, name. So, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, we joined, I think, right around the same time. Yeah. Looks like. And I have put off playtesting your game, which I regret because I'm seeing it now. (laughs) (laughs) And it looks so, so good. Like, your artwork looks awesome. Flee the Dungeon launching today, the day we're airing this which is last week for everybody listening to this. (laughs) But it looks awesome. Yeah, it's really tough finding, you know, opportunities to play test during a pandemic, obviously. I leaned on Tabletop Simulator a lot, even with some of the people who were local to me because, you know, we couldn't get together in person. So that was super helpful. But I mean, I think, you know, it was also just, just difficult to coordinate schedules and things. I didn't get as much playtesting as I wanted for the game, but I feel like I got enough to get it to a place where it's a good game. It's a fun game. And, you know, I, even though the Kickstarter is launching today, I mean, I'm still, I'm leaving for Gen Con tomorrow morning. We'll be doing playtesting there. I'm sure I'll be doing some more playtesting throughout the Kickstarter campaign just to continue refining and getting feedback I've got to update the assets on Tabletop Simulator, but once I do that, I mean, absolutely, we'll get you in for a play test and and you can check it out. Sweet. And any listeners who think like, but you launched a, a Kickstarter and you still need to do play testing, like that's totally normal. Like, look yeah. at Tim Fowers. You know, he did his paperback adventures. They're play testing still, and it's months after it's successfully funded. So, yeah. like. There is always that kind of process going on until the game is out there. Like they want to make sure that it's the absolute best it can be. Yep. Yep. So that's exciting. I'm glad you don't feel like it's done. Like it's ready. Just (laughs) (laughs) send it out. (laughs) I mean, I won't lie. I mean, that would be a lot easier and I'd feel a lot more comfortable about it. You know, if it was like all done and tucked away, um, especially from a production standpoint, but you know, I mean, I, I think it's it's going to be a lot of fun to work with the backers um, throughout the campaign and after, if I get funded, obviously, you know, to, to continue refining. You know, I love that, like, collaborative aspect that comes into, you know, when you back a Kickstarter, like a board game on Kickstarter, where you're able to communicate with the game designers and, and have input. And, you know, that's just, that's, that's cool. That's just a fun process. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it's fun as a backer to feel like you get to be a part of that process. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I, yeah, bravo. That's (laughs) a brave thing to do too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I think that's super important. Like, yeah, just to, obviously we're all part of, we all want a fun game to play and you've made something it's there and you're open to like, to getting it even better and better and better. Yeah. Well, let's put that on pause for a second. 
let's talk about you and how did you get into board games in general? Actually, I'm a little bit of a newcomer, I think, to board games. You know, it's not something that I was really into when I was younger or even into, you know, early adulthood. I think the first time I remember playing, you know, more of a, an adult strategy board game was in my mid-20s. And I got invited by a friend to, to go and play. And we played Puerto Rico and I was awful at it. Absolutely awful. Because, <laughs> you know, it was like, you know, so far in a way different from Clue and Monopoly and all the like Milton Bradley board games that, you know, we're all familiar with from when we were young. I was out of my depth then. But then in, in 2017, some friends and I decided that we were going to start playing <clears throat> Dungeons and Dragons, which also we had never played. You know, we're certainly into that kind of stuff. We just never, you know, it wasn't something that, that ever came across our, our radar. So we started playing and I went to Gen Con 2018 and that's kind of when it kicked it off for me where I saw just the the incredible community of not only board games that are out there, but also the designers behind them and just the the creativity and this and the passion and dedication that goes into it. You know, I was really attracted to the community from that perspective. And so yeah, I'm 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 still pretty new. I mean I there are a lot of games out there that I would like to play that I haven't played yet. My partner, her friends have introduced me to Twilight Imperium. Oh. Yeah, which is, you know, like being new to you know, this level of board gaming and jumping, you know, into the deep end with that kind of game. It's been, it's been interesting, but you know, even that one too, like I've played a few games of that and, and yeah, it's just, it's amazing how something like that can come together with, you know, not just the, obviously the complexity and the strategy behind it, but also the, the, the lore that's attached to that game. And, you know, the fact that, you know, there are tournaments and people like really invest a lot of time and effort into, into playing games like that and getting good at games like that. You know, that's, that's, that's just unreal to me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's really, really cool to see that. And I'm always surprised. Like I have friends tell me like, oh, I'm going to go to SaltCon, which is our local convention and I'm going to do a wingspan tournament. And I'm like, oh, wingspan. Yeah. You could totally do a tournament with that. You can do that with any game. And, and Wingspan's fairly big and stuff, but and, and it doesn't take too long to play. But, like, mm. I hear about so many games that they can do, like, tournaments with, and, and people love it and get really, really into it, and it, it's awesome. Yeah. What's your favorite, favorite game? Right now, I would say probably uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill. I really like the thematic aspect of that game, obviously. It's, you know, it's a, it's more than just here's a backdrop of story for the, the strategy of the game to play out. You know, it kind of, it has more of a tangible connection to the story and makes it more immersive for, for players. So I really like that. And then also I just, I really like tile placement games. I think those are a lot of fun to build the, you know, the play area as you go and the, 
the sense of discovery that comes along with that. So yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't think it's an accident that my first board game is, is a tile placement game. I just, I love those. Yeah. That is really fun. I borrowed Betrayal at House on the Hill. I have it sitting right over there off camera. Like, and I'm just hoping to get it played. If I can get like a third person, I've got my wife and we just need a third person. That game is so awesome. But the biggest downside is it's three and up. Like you need three or more players. Right. Yeah. I think it's an easy sell, which is good because, you know, it's a, it's a horror themed game and most people are into horror, especially when you get around to this time of year where we're coming up on Halloween, you know, it's uh it's a good, it's just a good fun thematic game experience that I think, you know, once people get into it and they realize, you know, what the game is, I mean, and it's memorable too, right? Like, you know, if, if you, if you've played it once, you remember it and you want to play it again because, you know, it, it's like each game is different because of the various scenarios that, that come along with it. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, I think it's, it seems daunting, you know, for people maybe who aren't into board games, but, you know, or coming over for a board game night, but that, that sort of like veneer of tongue in cheek horror really helps like, oh, this is going to, this is, this is fun. This is cool. We can do this. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And as you said that, that helps me to be like, you know what? I know the perfect people that would (laughs) totally love to come over and play this. And so now I have like. It's like, oh, that could be a double date night right there. I'm excited. There yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, you kind of talked about meeting designers and getting into the community that way. But but what led you to making your own game? Well, I've always been interested in game design and maybe more generally experience design. I come from a writing background where I write for museums, science and history museums, And a lot of that work has involved, you know, writing and designing digital interactive experiences, sometimes games, you know, so that that's kind of scratched the itch in the past. But, you know, I, I, when I got to that first Gen Con and, and started to see all of the possibilities for storytelling and games and the kind of like, just the interactive strategy experiences that people can have in a relatively short amount of time, right? You know, a couple hours when you sit down and play a game, you know, that, that really appealed to me. And I, and I just remember thinking like, I can do this. I know how to do this. Right. And of course, you know, when you get into actually designing a game, you realize how, how hard it is, you know, how, how much time and effort it takes to, to develop the idea and to test the idea and, you know, all of those things. But, but yeah, from the, from the very beginning, I, I just thought like, this is something that I have the skill set um, to do and want to do. And it's an opportunity for me to, you know, lend a voice to a community through storytelling. And actually the, the specific idea for Flee the Dungeon came at that, uh, not the first try at Gen Con, but Gen Con 2019. I think I was at like, maybe it was Meeple Source booth or something. And they had a big bin of meeples and, you know, I had some time to kill. So I just started rifling through the, the bin and, you know, I saw like, oh, here's a classic vampire and here's a classic, 
werewolf and here's a classic mummy and, Oh, there's a dragon. And, and the, the idea started coming to me about, you know, a dungeon full of these like classic monsters and an adventuring party that, you know, has to avoid these monsters and try to escape. Cause I was really like the ember of the idea uh, right then. And I bought the first, all the first meeples that I used for the first iteration of my prototype and for playtesting at that Gen Con. And yeah, then sat on it a while, you know, being quarantined uh, gave me kind of a, uh, a reason and an opportunity to, to get into it a little more seriously. So, so yeah, that's, that's kind of been the trajectory for my first foray into board game design. No, that's really, really cool. That's fun to hear, like, the, the, the origins of this developed at Gen Con, which is, does it start, it starts tomorrow, right? Yeah, starts tomorrow as far as events. I think I've been seeing a lot of people on uh, Twitter, they're already there or, like, they're on their way there. And I'm like, <laughs> it's it's Tuesday, it's Wednesday, right? But they have, you know, like, everybody who has booths, they have to set up you know, a couple days in advance. So yeah. that's just given me the FOMO already of like, ah, I want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what are your plans there? Well, so I'm doing first and foremost, I'm doing the first exposure play test hall, which is a like sort of an official platform for game designers to play test their games and the people, the great people who run that, you know, they, They've set aside time slots and uh, tables for all of these various designers to play test their games at different times. And then they actually work to, you know, like harvest the, the, <laughs> the people who come in to play test the games based on what you're looking for as far as demographic or just what, you know, what kind of players you might like to, to have play test the game just to, to get their responses from, you know, diversity level. So I'll be doing that. I've got four two hour sessions throughout the convention that I'll be I'll be playtesting the game, and then from there, I've got just a lot of uh, a lot of plans to play a lot of games. I, I bought some tickets to go play some games that that are interesting to me. I'll probably walk the vendor hall quite a bit and just try to you know meet people, talk to people, you know, see what's out there, see what people are working on. Got a couple sessions that I'm going to go to, so it'll be a busy uh, busy weekend for sure. Yeah, very exciting. I hear that Gen Con is really, really good to network at. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people do network there. And, you know, network, like I come from, you know, museum design background, and we had a lot of conventions that we would go to. And there was, it, 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 even though, you know, museums are far more creative and liberal than, <laughs> you know, like an attorney convention, maybe, still there was like this sense of, of corporatism, when I would go to a conference and networking meant, you know, trying to like find opportunities to work together in a very like business relationship kind of sense. I think Gen Con is different in that, you know, we're all gamers and we love this stuff and we love nerd culture. And, you know, <laughs> even without board games, we'd all still be friends. Right. So Gen Con is that opportunity to just go and make friends and if there's an opportunity to work together in the future on a project, awesome. But, you know, it's not, you don't go to Gen Con and you don't network there 
uh, necessarily for that reason. You know, you, you, you just go and have fun and build relationships and yeah. I mean, I think it's special in that way and it's so much more inviting because of that. That's very true. And it's, it's such an interesting world where like, I've talked about this a couple of times, but in other businesses, like it can get cutthroat. Like, you know, you might have a competitor and, and to put it into board game terms, it would be like, you know, if, if Stonemeyer Games thought that Kaman was a competitor and, and so they like always were trying to one up them and one up each other and like sabotage each other or, or, you know, that kind of stuff. But it's like, that's not it. They make totally different games. Everybody's just a, such a big fan of games that we want more games out there. And so like, Nobody's trying to sabotage anyone. I mean, I guess maybe a little, maybe there is, I don't know. <laughs> but nothing I see, you know, like nobody's stealing people's ideas. Nobody's uh, doing anything that's unkind to other people in a business sense. Like we're all yeah, actually, together, so it's cool. Yeah, I saw I saw Mike Kimmel, who who's at Paizo. I saw him tweet that very same thing where he was saying, you know, look, like, yeah, I, I write for Pathfinder and, you know, there is a competitor, you know, uh, competitor, uh, game out there to Pathfinder, but like, we all know each other and we're all friends and we all play each other's games. It's not like, you know, there's the Berlin wall of board gaming, right? Like, you know, it's it's so much more inclusive and it's and supportive even when you have games that seem to be in competition with each other i like to think of it as more you know especially with board games it's more just options like you know every <laughs> every board gamer i've seen including me has you know a huge shelf of board games so you know it's not like we're it's not like we're we're being terribly selective about what board games we buy and play i mean it's just yeah give me more give me all of them (laughs) yeah exactly yeah we we're not picky we'll play wingspan we'll play blood rage we'll play you know yeah exactly (laughs) give us the widest range of things we'll farm sure yeah make a game about it we'll play it which i love it's just such a great community but Let's talk about Flee the Dungeon. I know you don't have all day. You got you're launching soon, so I'm launching today. Yeah, yeah. Flee the Dungeon is a three versus one tile placement dungeon crawler. So the theme is that three adventuring heroes have been captured by an evil sorcerer and imprisoned inside a dungeon. And, you know, their, their goal is to make their way through this dungeon and avoid the monsters and the traps that lurk in there and, and try to escape. So obviously three players take the role of those, those three adventuring heroes, barbarian, rogue, and wizard. And the fourth player takes on the role of the sorcerer who has a lot of resources at their disposal to try to stop the the heroes from escaping plays in about an hour obviously play testing sessions have gone a little longer than that because you know people ask questions and things like that but i think streamline takes about an hour to play especially if you've played a, played a game already so it's it's fairly fast paced there's a lot of options for you know, changing the roles around to see, you know, how different characters play. And then I've got some stretch goals on my campaign for some additional hero characters, different classes that'll, that'll add some 
some gameplay. But yeah, it's, you know, I, I wanted to make a game that was, you know, for, for people who want to host a game night and want to have something pretty quick to play, pretty pretty easy to pick up. You know, a lot of, a lot of people my age also have kids that are, you know, of the age now where they can play, you know, board games like this. So, you know, 10 and up. So, so giving families something to play every now and then didn't want it to be too crunchy, just, just really accessible, really fun, but yet have some layers of, of, of strategy that aren't otherwise visible when you first start the game or isn't otherwise evident from the from the game's look and feel. You know, I think I think people are going to be really surprised when they get into it and realize, you know, the 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 depth of of decision making that's in the game. You know, there's a there's a light push your luck element to the game which I really like where you have to figure out which resources you're going to invest in as you move through the dungeon what you think you'll need, you know, in the case of the wizard, he has a limited number of spells that can be cast. So when you cast those and for the sorcerer player as well, you know, a limited number of spells that, that, that the sorcerer can play some unique tiles that the sorcerer can, can place. And so when, when to do those, yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to be a really rich experience for people um, who who are craving the kind of game that is that is accessible, easy to learn, but has a little bit more meat underneath, you know? Yeah. No, that sounds really interesting. So generally, are the heroes placing the tiles, and then every once in a while, the sorcerer might place in a tile to, to thwart them a little bit? Exactly, yeah. So the, the players take turns rolling move dice and then drawing a tile, placing it in order to move through the dungeon. And as they, as they move through monsters will get revealed. So on the, on the sorcerer players turn, that player will be able to move around the monsters that, that have been revealed, but they also have the opportunity to, if they want, instead of say, moving the mummy this turn. Oh, I'm going to place a, I'm going to place a dungeon tile and you know, it can be a dead end. It can be a special trap, something like that, but just something that, that stops up the player in a different way. And for the hero players, knowing that the, that the sorcerer player has these, you know, spell cards and, and special tiles that can be placed just sort of like keeping them close to the, <laughs> close to the vest, right? Like just, waiting for those to, to come out, I think adds a cool element of dread and like, Oh, what are we going to have to deal with? You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, they're also, uh, so as the players move through, they have to find their lost items. So for the barbarian, he's, he's missing his sword and needs the sword. The rogue is missing a short bow and the wizard is missing the spell book. So there are tiles that correspond to those. And once they find those items, they're able to unlock uh, a special ability that's on their player card that they can use. But in order to use that ability, they have to at least be holding one ration token. So it's like, you know, got to eat the apple in order to have the energy to, you know, expend this ability. But the rations also can be used for other things. So there's that, you know, like push your luck, uh, 
idea of do I want to heal or do I want to be able to use this ability right now? Yeah. And then there are treasure tiles and the treasure tiles offer one of two options. Either you take a treasure token, which is like a coin, and you can use that for various um, purposes in the game. Or you can take a treasure card and the treasure card is going to be either an equipment or an item. Item would be a one use equipment is going to be something that will go into effect immediately. Those cards can be tremendously helpful, right? A couple of them are cursed, so they can actually hinder you and they can't be removed and unless you acquire two more <laughs> coin tokens and spend them in order to. So, you know, there's there's a lot of complexity there of just what 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 do I need at any given moment or what do I think I'm going to need? Do I want to take that that treasure card and and or take the risk in getting a cursed item? Do I want to, you know, withhold those so I can spend them on other things? You know, the, the, those kinds of things are, are pretty simple, but they add a depth that I think is right for the, the weight of the game. And then I'll mention the shopkeeper. So the shopkeeper, <laughs> and this is... So all of the characters are anthropomorphic and the shopkeeper is, is a bat and he's like a very smart. And the idea came from when I was standing there at that, at that meeple bin and there's a bat meeple that has like his wing outstretched and he's got Uh. like this stupid smile on his face. And I immediately thought, well, that's like, you know, that's like a vendor is like opening his trench coat to show all of his, you know, stolen watches and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Want to buy a watch? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I was like, I got, I have to do that. So, so the shopkeeper's in the game and the shopkeeper, when you, fir- when you start the game, you shuffle the treasure cards and then you take the top three and you place them on the shopkeeper board face down. So those are three potential items or equipment that can be traded for at the shopkeeper and if you reveal the shopkeeper tile and you navigate to that tile, you can you can trade. But the but the catch is you have to trade blind. So if you have an item card or an equipment card that you know isn't really helping you and you want to try something different, you've got to trade blind and pick one of those three cards. And you know what you get is what you get. So so again, just that just an element of chaos to <laughs> to add to the game, a little element of unpredictability but strategy is is something that i think players have responded really well to and really enjoy yeah well that sounds really interesting i think that's kind of a fun and different way to handle that of like you're not getting any use out of this item anyways you might as well trade it and try and get something that might help you but it might not yeah exactly (laughs) Uh, i love 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 the artwork on this like looking at it you know the you know, you've got a minotaur as the warrior, a mouse as the the archer, the ranger, the rogue, yeah, rogue. That's what it is. And then, oh, what was the source or the wizard? The wizard's an owl, yeah, an owl. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's so fitting. And and same with all of the monsters and the sorcerer. The sorcerer is really cool looking with like the head is just kind of a dark silhouette with crazy eyes and teeth and yeah yeah it's sort of uh sort of like vaguely animalistic but you're not really sure like what (laughs) what it is yeah the inspiration for that actually came from from conan the destroyer which is one of my favorite (laughs) favorite fantasy movies from back in the 80s uh 
and the you know, the sorcerer Thothamon in that movie is kind of like this old old guy with you know a, a scar over his eye and a beard and a red cloak and this cool looking sorcerer cap and so I was like yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna pay some pay some homage to that <laughs> oh nice that's really awesome <laughs> yeah the artwork is is unbelievably uh, rich and fun. And I'm so lucky to have found the illustrator. Their name is M. Stemma. And th- their work is just unreal. I was able to to get in touch on Fiverr. Or no, I'm sorry, Upwork. But from there, we just kind of worked together. And and yeah, I mean, they've they've knocked it out of the park in terms of the, the, the illustration style. In the beginning, I wanted it to be reminiscent of like the old '80s Don Bluth, you know, like Dragon's Lair and oh, okay, yeah. and The Secret of Nim, and you know, animated fantasy films like that. But then, you know, M's particular style, like own sort of unique style, kind of shines through as well. So it's this it's this mix of that that classic animated look and you know kind of a modern modern take so yeah i (laughs) i am beyond lucky to have to have found an illustrator like she i mean it's just unreal what they've been able to provide on the project and i think that's what's been the most captivating for people what's made them want to play the game so much when they see you know the 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 cute characters and you know, the, the rich artwork and the, and the environments. I mean, it's just like, yes, I want to play that. (laughs) And that really helps, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. That makes sense. I I mean, for me, artwork is one of those things. Like I'm pretty sure a number of these games behind me are purchased solely on the artwork. Like gameplay sometimes seems second string to me, but, but Obviously, uh, like gameplay is super important, but good artwork is so eye-catching. And I think this, especially the cover for it, if you haven't seen it, go look at it. it Flee the Dungeon. It's just, it's a really, really pretty box cover. And all of the cards that I've seen so far are really cool looking. So, bravo. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Sorry, I need a drink real quick. <laughs> no problem. How does... How do the players win and how do the sorcerer win? How well how do the players win and how does the sorcerer win? So the players win in the standard game mode, the players win um, by escaping. And they escape the dungeon, they have to find their lost item, uh, they have to find the key and be holding the key. They have to find the exit tile to unlock the the door and, and escape. So in that standard one, it's kind of a free for all, but they're in the sense that you know one player can win and the others can lose. But the the game the the design of the game incentivizes the players to work together, so that you know if if one player is working for themselves, but the sorcerer is focusing on the other two, that player who's trying to win may not win because, you know, they're not looking out for the other, the other two that are in danger of being knocked out of the game. So, um, so yeah, so the, so the players win by getting their lost item, getting the key 
and finding the exit tile. A sorcerer wins in the sort of base game mode by eliminating two players. And that prevents the sorcerer from just focusing on one and, you know, driving all of the the monsters and and spells and things to them, but it also is it's it's definitely an achievable goal for the sorcerer given what what resources they have in the game to use. <clears throat> There are two play modes, additional play modes that that are in the rulebook. One is all or nothing. So in that game mode, all three heroes have to escape. So obviously that's a little bit more difficult, but a lot more fun because now you've got true true cooperation with the players trying to help each other and put put themselves in positions to succeed. You've also got some mechanics where a player who finds a lost item that's not necessarily uh, the right one for their character can still pick that up and carry it to the character who needs it. So there's little bits like that. And then there's also a, a treasure hoard game mode, which is, you know, the, the key is thrown out and it's essentially uh, a treasure hall where the, the three heroes are trying to move through the dungeon and get as much treasure as possible in order to win. The sorcerer has ways that that it can collect treasure in order to win. And again, there's that element of, well, what do I think I need? Because if you, if you draw a treasure tile, obviously you can get a coin token. That's going to count as a victory point toward winning the game. But to get through the dungeon, you might need an item. You might need a treasure item that's going to that's going to buffer you a little bit and help you get, get to the to the finish line. So so yeah, all of those modes are have been really successful in in terms of game testing and chaotic in a way that I think helps the game. So it's really yeah, it's definitely it feels like a back and forth between the 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 hero players and the sorcerer player in terms of trying to gain ground and get to that victory condition. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Do you ever find that, or have you found, have you found that the sorcerer wins more often than the heroes or vice versa? Is there, is it feel pretty balanced? Does it feel pretty balanced so far? It feels pretty balanced. Yeah. I think the, the heroes definitely have the edge in terms of if it depends on how the, how the tiles fall and some of the early decisions that the sorcerer makes. If the heroes can kind of get to that next level where they they've they've got a little bit of treasure in their pocket, you know, some items to use, they've got their lost items, so now they've unlocked their special ability, they become much more formidable in terms of being able to take on the monsters and, and get to the exit. But the sorcerer can make things really tough at the beginning of the game. Even if there are maybe just one or two monsters that have been revealed the sorcerer still has those spells that that they can use has they have got the tiles that they can put down so yeah it just really depends on on what the what the the layout of the gameplay uh, of the game is developing like what tiles are being placed and and how it seems to be going for one side or the other so yeah i and and i think this will come with more play testing too i definitely want to play test with different types of players you know i've had some playtesters who like in the role the sorcerer plays it pretty safe some of the heroes hero players i've seen you know they're <laughs> they're kind of coming from the the 
old D and D adage of don't split the party, you know? Yeah. So, so there are different ways to play it and there are different outcomes that, that may come from that. But I think there's still definitely this encouragement to feel free to play it in different ways. You know, if it's your second or third playthrough, you know, try to go blaze through that dungeon, you know, balls to the wall, right? Or, or you know, try to play it safe or try to focus on just getting treasure or just getting, you know, making sure you've got rations on hand and see where it takes you. Yeah. Well, that sounds really exciting. I like that. Sounds like it has plenty of variability to it. It does, yeah. So. Yeah, a lot of replay value. Good. That's always important. Yeah. Getting that on the table more and more. Yeah. <laughs> well, and even just like, being able to play different characters and being able to switch to be the sorcerer or, you know, like switching your roles. Are you going to be the one or are you going to be part of the many? Yeah. So I think that's yeah. really cool. I'm very excited to see it launch here shortly. I thought I would just go ahead and launch it right now. I've got, okay. Uh, I've got it sitting here. I've got the button ready. So let's go ahead and do it. Wham, bam. <laughs> Drum roll. That's funny. <laughs> All right, skadoosh. It is live. Ta-da. <laughs> so now people can hear it launched live <laughs> a week later. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's exciting. Let's see. Uh, now, if I click, we're, I'm just going to do this on air. I clicked on it. Oh, look at that. Yep. It is up. I am seeing the whole page there. And, yeah, that looks cool. All the pieces. Let's see. Add-ons, some extra dice. Yeah, this is sort of a... This is sort of a reveal for a lot of the different components. I've I've shown some of that in, you know, on Instagram and in Twitter. This is kind of like a full reveal of... of all the various components in the game. Oh, let's look at these stretch goals right here. Mm-hmm. The first one, laser-cut wooden meeples provide an immediate upgrade to your game. I love laser Who doesn't love custom meeples? Yeah, and what they can do with with the, the, the detail, the incredible detail that you can get with meeples now is astounding, the level of character. I mean, like, you know, and then I go back to, like, Root. Root has some of the best meeples. They're not terribly complicated, but they have so much character and I, I just love that. I think that enhances a game so much when you've got something like that. And and I actually, I, I, I've 3D printed some uh, of these character meeples that I'm going to have on hand at Gen Con for people to kind of get a feel for how, you know, the game plays using the meeples. So yeah, I hope that stretch goal gets unlocked because it's definitely far and away a, a big upgrade for any game. Oh, absolutely. And then it looks like the next... Two are heroes, right? Yeah, the next two, the cleric and the artificer, and then I've got three other hero characters that, if we if we get through those two, we'll, we'll reveal some more. So, yeah, and they and I've already developed their you know their rule sets, their special abilities. So they've got some really interesting things that they can do in the game that change the dynamic of the game depending on what combination of heroes you have. Hopefully those get unlocked too, because I think those will be a lot of fun for people. Uh, and th- these are some of the characters that I've also got to play test, because I haven't really had a chance to play test some of these. So oh. we'll see how they play. Yeah, that makes sense. That's exciting though. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I am... Oh, shoot. I got to sign. 
Oh, are you going to back it? I'm trying. Let's see if I... <laughs> bam. Backer number one, right? Let's see. Man, sometimes I am not used to doing this on the computer. Please I just now... I just now, like yesterday, uh, downloaded the Kickstarter app on my phone because I'm such a Luddite. And I figured I should probably have that on my phone, especially if I'm going to be at Gen Con and not have access to a laptop for a few days. Makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. There we go. One backer. Look at that. Backer number one. (laughs) I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. I appreciate Uh, your support. Yeah. Oh, I'm very excited about the game. Like, I genuinely, I want to support new new designers, and it's even better if the game actually looks fun. <laughs> <laughs> right, no, yeah. <laughs> no offense to other games that I haven't backed. And sometimes it's just like financially you can't back it or bad right. timing, you know, like there might be something else. Like Marvel United, we talked about that before we started recording. Mm-hmm. There were so many games that I didn't get to back because I really wanted my Marvel United. And there's like no way I could justify other money outside of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Which is sad. <laughs> yeah. I see so many games on Kickstarter that, that I want to back, but they're like, you know, they're like Gloomhaven size. Right. And they're like, you know, yeah you know when and you want to get those kickstarter those kickstarter exclusives when you have the opportunity to get them because they're so much more expensive later if you try to go back and get them on a second market secondary market so so yeah like there's there have been so many games that i that i've wanted in the past that just like you said the sheer size and you know price of the game is like ah, maybe not right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then if you back that one then it's like well now i can't back this 15 dollar game like there's no way i can justify backing a small one now right <laughs> <laughs> either yeah. i can back a bunch of small ones or one big one <laughs> yeah yeah so flee the dungeon is 30 bucks for the base game and all the stretch goals, a little extra if you want to if you want to add some of the add-ons, which are just extra dice, extra coin tokens, things like that. But yeah, thirty dollars base price is kind of where I wanted it to be in terms of price point. You know, it's it's something that's manageable for people, but has a lot of replayability. So you're definitely going to get uh, the most bang for your buck in playing it. Hopefully, you know, people like it enough or it'll hit their table, you know, many many times. So. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. There, I would ask when you're expecting delivery or like to finish it, but I think that's an impossible question in these times. <laughs> yeah, it, well, COVID definitely has put a damper on on fulfillment, production and fulfillment delivery for for Kickstarter projects. You know, some of the Kickstarters that I've backed, just just the updates that come through about you know difficulties in terms of shipping. Yeah, it it. it makes for a lot of question marks. Ideally, I would be able to deliver within the year. So so 12 months is kind of what I'm shooting for. This time next year, backers would start getting their games. But yeah, that's going to be all dependent on what the picture of worldwide shipping looks like <laughs> at the time that I'm that I'm trying to fulfill and yeah, we'll just we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Fingers crossed it's all smoother by then. But we'll see. And you can't take it out on the designers, people. They have no control over this. No. Yeah. Really, really. I mean, it's just 
the the sheer volume of of goods that are being shipped throughout the world has created this bottleneck where there there are literally not enough ships and not enough shipping containers to to move all of this product and that's what's driving up costs so and and creating delays and yeah it, it absolutely sucks i mean everybody wants to get their games you know as soon as possible in the in the Designers and publishers absolutely want to get them in in their backers' hands as soon as possible, right? So, so yeah, it's just it's just getting through the 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 doldrums of of a pandemic post pandemic world. Well, I'm ex- I'm so excited. This is great. Let's play ridiculous theme, the game okay. where we come up with a ridiculous theme for a board game. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days, I'll get music for it. It'll be so sweet. <laughs> yeah, I get a little jingle for it. Yeah. Did you think of one? Gosh, I haven't. <laughs> I thought of one earlier today, and now it totally has evaporated. It's It's gone. You know, I think, so this is an idea that I had at one time that I thought would be fun, and it never really got anywhere beyond what I'm about to say. But I think it would be fun to have, like, a game where each player plays like a Roomba and you're competing to clean up, clean up the room or clean up the apartment or whatever it is. And I think, and that came from like, there's a video game where there's, you play a Roomba and there's uh, you know, like thieves break into the house and as the Roomba, it's your job to stop the thieves and like clean up after their mess. <laughs> right. And you've got a certain amount of time to do that before, you know, the, the owners come home. So I just, I I love in general, the concept of characterizing like, you know, inanimate objects and something as like, (laughs) as unassuming as a Roomba that has this incredibly important job that we take for granted and, you know, doesn't always work quite right (laughs) because of their design, (laughs) but you know, people still keep buying them and they're still part of our, you know, collective culture. So yeah, I would love to, love to, to play a game like that. That sounds really fun. Actually, I, my brain, as you were saying, it just can't help but like start putting those pieces together of being like, oh, yeah, like you'd have a room and there might be like obstacles like you might be able to go down the stairs. But then how are you going to get back up? Oh, you're going to exactly. need to push a ramp over there to get back up to your charging station. And, oh, you've yeah. only got so much battery. You can only do <laughs> so long before you have to recharge and then get back yeah. out there. Like, oh, man. Look at or this. maybe uh, maybe a competing Roomba competing player uses an ability to like tip you over. So now you're now you're on your little Roomba back, and you're like, you know, how am I going to get right right side up? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also remember a long time ago there was a there was a video game, a Japanese video game that I never got to play. I always wanted to play it because the the premise sounded so ridiculous and and fun. You play a mosquito that tries to land on a human and, you know, bite and suck the blood. But it's like this, like race against time because the more, the more you're trying to suck the human's blood, the more likely they are to be, to know that you're there and you get smacked. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And like, that's just like this, this little microcosm of a story that, nobody ever thinks about but someone made a game about that and i just i love that i think that's great 
That is awesome. I'm going to call back to an old, on my other podcast, we interviewed Rob Davio, who, you know, did like, does the father of legacy games and he's with restoration games and and just awesome guy. And he, he misunderstood uh, ridiculous theme. My bad. I didn't explain it very well in an email. (laughs) (laughs) And so he came in and he was like, Oh, I thought you pitched me something. And then I try and make a game out of it. And I had thought of like, I wanted to make a mosquito game called bound by blood you know, and it's just yeah. your mosquitoes and you just have to suck blood. And and so I just told him the name and he went off for like four minutes on <laughs> all of this, like this fully developed game. It, it seemed so incredible. Uh, and still <laughs> to this awesome. day, I'm just like, I just want him to make that game now. Yeah, make that game. Please make that game. <laughs> yeah. But that dude is so chock full of like weird trivia stuff. Like he knew knew he knew more about mosquitoes than anyone else i know and i guess that's because he was like in charge of trivial pursuit oh okay yeah yeah anyway so that just reminded me of that fondness that fond memory go back to the nerding out episode people and listen to the rob davio episode because it's it's just a fun episode anyway but that ridiculous thing is one of the best (laughs) yeah i'm i'm definitely going to find Listen to that one. That one sounds great. <laughs> I was thinking of one based on your shirt because you've got the Louisville Athletic Club. Yeah. And I was thinking, what if it was like you had all of these sports, you go to this like athletic club and you have all these sports and you have to pick your team for just a generic sport and you're going to mm-hmm. pick like a baseballer and a soccer player and a football player and each of them like create the sport and so like you can only you can throw the ball to the baseball player and they can hit it and you've got to get Uh, it into a net or maybe the soccer makes it so you have to like kick it you can't touch it with your hands and you know I don't know like it just essentially like who you choose to play the game with generates the rules that you have to play in that's a very Very rough concept. <laughs> no, I like that. That's cool. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like Calvin Ball in a in a sense. Like, do you know Calvin Ball? Uh huh. Calvin and Hobbes, the old uh, wonderful comic comic strip. Yeah, they Calvin and and Hobbes would play Calvin Ball, and basically, it's they just make up the rules as they're playing, usually to their own advantage. But there, are, as I understand it, there are like people out there in the world who play Calvin ball and like their leagues for Calvin ball, which is, which is awesome. But yeah, the idea of like, you know, each, each player brings a certain skill or like ability or, or even like, they're just like, they're, they have to abide by the rules of the sport that they come from (laughs) in order to play the game. And so how you can like create strategies using those different players to, to win the game that's created, the overall sport that's created. Yeah, that's cool. I love it. I almost forgot to do outside of board gaming. So we're going to do this out of order. Normally, Ridiculous Theme is after. That's at the end. But let's talk about what you do outside of board games. Well, I'm an avid toy collector. So action figures I've been collecting since I was a kid. And now the action figure market is sort of catered to 
you know, people my age who grew up with action figures to play with as toys and now want them as display pieces, right? So there are a lot of high-end high-end action figures out there. I collect those. A lot of Marvel, X-Men specifically, Star Wars, cool stuff like that. Awesome. Um, over pandemic, I also got into like diorama making. I just started finding all of these people on YouTube who are incredible at making dioramas like little miniature scenes and and a lot of it was kind of born out of out of D, you know like uh, there are a lot of people that are making terrain for their table so i guess that's kind of where it started and and i've always liked you know doing that kind of thing so so I started with that but then like yeah there's this whole community of people who who make you know they sculpt characters and creatures and environments and use you know liquid resin to make a diorama it looks like it's underwater right or you know they build in led lights book nooks are a thing too where you know for a bookcase someone will make like just a little scene inside an alcove that's roughly the shape of a book but it would be like Diagon Alley from harry potter or you know or like the treasure hoard with smaug the dragon from the hobbit things like yeah. that. yeah i just love like i love that stuff just little miniature scenes and the the realism that you know you can get with some pretty easy techniques with painting and you know crafting and things so yeah yeah that's really cool that's been occupying my time (laughs) what have you made i made a punisher diorama i'm not a huge punisher fan but i i just wanted you know it seemed like it would be a pretty easy thing to make so it's just like his you know crappy poorly lit (laughs) basement with, you know, gun racks and uh, a couple tables with, you know, all of his various tools and guns and grenades and stuff. And yeah, his armory. A, yeah, exactly. And I made a, you know, like a little display stand for his uh, his his vest that's got the, the Punisher logo on it. So, you know, when he's down there, he's not wearing it right. So he's, he's oh, got nice. it. So it's this little slice of life for him and a, I even got like a, t- a tiny for Etsy. I got this tiny picture frame and printed like a picture of Frank Castle's family. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Put, put that in there. So he's got that on the table. So yeah. All right. That's awesome. I actually, I do remember seeing this on Twitter. You posted it a while ago. I posted it on Twitter. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I, as soon as you started talking about it, I was like, Oh yeah, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty awesome. I think I even commented on it, if I remember, or or something. I don't remember. Yeah. It was a while ago. It was, yeah, it was, uh, oh, gosh. It was, what, last year? Maybe I did that? Yeah. <laughs> Must have been, because Flee the Dungeon's taken up all my time from about December of last year on till now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I Yeah. It's exciting though. It's launched. You have seven backers. It's launched. Yeah, one of them. One of them is my uh, partner. She, she sent me a text and told me that she uh, she just backed it. And I'm like, well, you get a free game anyway because like <laughs> we live together. <laughs> <laughs> so she's so sweet to to support. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully, yeah. By the time this airs, it will still be live. And yeah, for anybody who's interested, go check it out. And uh, if it sounds like the kind of game that you uh, would want to own and want to play get after it yeah go check it out at the very least just go on that page look through it you'll i think you'll like what you see this is this looks amazing so 
Uh, why don't you plug your social media and everything else? Yeah, so you can find me at Sparkwolf Games on either Twitter or Instagram. You can also find me at K Thomas Elsey at both of those as well. I've got a Sparkwolf Games website that's in development. There's not really anything on there right now, but I'd like to get that going. And then also I've got a Sparkwolf Games Facebook page that they keep pretty much uh, all the same content. And I've got probably in the next few months I'll I'll start building a Discord. You know, f- at least for backers who have supported Flee the Dungeon, be able to interact with me a little bit more more directly thank you so much for listening you can find a link to flee the dungeon kickstarter in the show notes as well as to his twitter uh, and sparkwolf games twitter you can find me at nerd out with us on twitter you can email me the board game community show at gmail.com if you like what you're hearing and think what I'm doing is a cool thing, leave a review. Let me know. Uh, That would be great. And leaving a review helps the podcast to be seen more and be recommended to other people. So if you do that, that would help the podcast out. Protocon, an in-person event, is happening on January 28th and 29th here in Utah, right down the street from me. Very exciting. It is an in-person event where people will bring their prototypes. Some of them are early-ish and others are like ready to go to Kickstarter or have already been on Kickstarter. Last time, Tim Fowers brought Burgle Brothers 2. There was also Brant Brinkerhoff's Oros, which came just finished a few months ago. Well, that is all I have. Thank you again for listening and remember... Keep nerding out.